Well, good afternoon to you all in my uh, whatever accent I have. Uh, it's good to be back here in Charlotte. It is always good to visit headquarters and uh, be able to see all of you and go back home and tell everybody about the work and how it's developing and the excitement that uh, is involved in uh, what's happening in God's work in these end days. And um, I thought I would just take a few minutes here to bring some of you up to date on some of the activities that we're actually uh, involved in in the regional office in Adelaide in South Australia. Of course, as Mr. Ames mentioned, uh, the uh, Australasian region covers about eight time zones, so it is about a third of the way around the earth from the international date line right over to India. And uh, they tried to extend it into Pakistan, but I'm not too thrilled about having to visit there at the moment. Uh, we, fortunately, we don't have too many people, although we do send a number of um, uh, the Bible uh, lessons uh, into that area. Uh, so there is a little bit of interest, uh, but we'll have to see how things develop as time goes on and we get closer to the end. The world certainly is becoming more and more unstable. But in, in the regional office in Adelaide, I uh, just want to mention there we're very excited about the fact that we have the opportunity to invite some of the young people to come and work part-time for the church in the church office and also study the online university, Living University course. And so at the moment we have uh, six full-time staff members and we have six uh, part-time university students, or I should say online university students, and they're able to do uh, their studies and then they're able to uh, work in the office, in the mailing department, uh, answering the telephones and whatever else uh, uh, we need them to do as far as maintenance and so forth. But one exciting thing has happened. Mr. Michael Gill, who many of you know and have met, uh, he and my son Robert had meetings with the owner of the property that's right behind the buildings that uh, we have in, in the little township of Clarendon. And the buildings right behind us, uh, Dr. Winnale has been there to uh, uh, visit them. We had a, a conference down there a year and almost two years ago now. And it is actually is a vineyard. It's a winery. And I think there's about 500 acres under vines on a beautiful um, land side on the, on the hill, sloping down into the river uh, just below us. And uh, the gentleman there also runs a hotel-motel type of complex, and he is very interested in uh, opening up his, you might say, rooms as dormitories and, and, and is excited about, well, look, if you can supply the students... Um, I'll, we'll look after them here. We'll provide them work on the vineyard. We'll teach them even how to make wine and provide uh, some income for them, to, for them to pay for their online university courses. So we've got to see where that all goes. But uh, we certainly very much appreciated the work that the headquarters team put into those lessons, the courses there. It certainly has been very helpful to those that are doing that course. And I would like to just say here, if there's any young people in the country that you know of would like an outback experience, a down-under experience, um, please encourage them to come down. They can come for maybe a year, get a visa. They can study. They can work. We'll take them out to the outback. We'll give them some uh, experiences riding camels and, you know, <laughs> flipping heads off snakes or whatever else they, we have down there. <laughs> 
but uh, it is an exciting time. And I must say we have uh, young Sarah Ross from up in Dubuque, Iowa with us at the moment, and she is thoroughly enjoying her time there. We're trying to keep her in actual fact, but I don't think that's going to work out just yet. But uh, uh, certainly it is a, a fantastic opportunity for anybody who would like to come down, work a little bit, and, of course, study the, the Living University. Um, we have nine full-time ministers in Australia, and throughout the whole region we have about 25 ministers. They're not all full-time. Uh, many of them are retired, and they work full-time. So uh, we'll put it in those terms, but they, we are very thankful that they're there to help encourage the membership uh, the, the, in, the, in the various countries. We have um, uh, uh, the Philippines. I might just mention very quickly, you've been pretty much kept up to date. Mr. Bonjour, thankfully, was there and was able to help out tremendously during the recent typhoons that they had. Uh, Mr. Tanner and I will be travelling up there in about two weeks, uh, maybe a little less than that, but uh, we need to go up and just make sure everything is taken care of and that all the brethren are being um, uh, looked after after the devastation that took place in Manila and other places as well. We have a little bit of uh, uh, reorganising in the office to do, and uh, I know it's going to be a very valuable time that we're able to spend uh, with the people there. Last week, of course, you heard from Mr Penman, so I won't talk about New Zealand, and maybe in the future I'll mention about uh, New Guinea, Indonesia, Sri Lanka, India, Burma, Thailand, Malaysia, Singapore, and uh, other places further north. So I guess it is about a third of the world's population when you put it, or yeah, somewhere around there. So it's a big area. We've got a lot of work to do. And uh, God is the one, of course, is going to accomplish getting his gospel into all the world. So we need to be praying about those things and asking God to use us as we give ourselves to him in uh, the sacrifices that we have to make in our own personal lives and uh, our dedication to God's work and praying for it. One thing I want to talk to you about today is an a, 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 a incident that happened on the flight over here uh, when I um, left Australia a week and a half ago now almost. I had the opportunity to sit down on the plane, a fellow passenger next to me. I don't know what his name was or is, but he was on his way back home. He comes from Missouri, of all places. And... Uh, he was reminiscing about his life. He's probably in his 40s, uh, early 40s. He has three children. He has a daughter and two, two young boys. And um, a very uh, religious man. He, uh, I was writing some notes, and he was sort of glancing over, I guess, looking at what I was doing. He says, hmm, I see you're writing some scriptures down. <laughs> and we, we got talking, had a very fine conversation with him. And he works on a oil rigs out in the Timor uh, Sea over north of Australia and near Indonesia. And as we got talking, he started to um, open up about his life and the regrets that he had. His 16-year-old daughter just ran off with some guy. And he was bemoaning the fact that, I wish I had spent more time with her. I wish, my, I, instead of flying around the place and, and being away from home, I wish I was there for her, to be involved in her life, uh, to be part of her life. 
And rather instead of this guy that came along, he said, I sent her off to our local church, um, whatever um, denomination they belong to, thinking that she would be safe. And yet this sort of thing happens. And he was, as I said, bemoaning the fact that he had not spent the time. He had this great regret. His heart was certainly was very, very heavy for his daughter and what had happened. And I wonder if there's some of us that at times feel that, that way. I don't necessarily mean in uh, things that may have happened, situations that may have happened in our lives, but when we look back on our life, there are those times when we look back and said, boy, I just wasted so much time. I should have spent more time doing this, or I didn't take care of that when I should have. And our life has slipped by, and we have these regrets that we wish we could make up the time, wish we could go back and do it over again. again. You know, I, I, I think of myself, I had the... Uh, privilege, we had the privilege of having Mr. Lambert Greer down in Australia for the feast a couple of years ago, and I mentioned somewhere in my sermon that when I was a youngster, teenager, I used to play the piano accordion, but I, I gave it away when I went to Ambassador College in 1965 and haven't touched it since. And he came up afterwards and he said, look, he says, I've got one I can give you. So I was over here for one of the council meetings, and lo and behold, he brings it along and, and presents it to me, and I took it back home with me. Well, uh, after 40-some years, 45 years of not playing, you know, I looked back and I thought, would I wish I had kept it up. You know, I see the our university, online university students, um, actually we have formed a, a band if I can call it, or a orchestra, a little orchestra. We have an eight-piece orchestra with cellos and violins and, and uh, um, saxophones and, and clarinets and a few other little things thrown in. And I thought, oh, I wish I'd kept up my music. Uh, I played the sousaphone when I was in college, and I certainly enjoyed the music we had last week uh, with the tuba. But you have those regrets. Anyway, I'm practicing again, so I'm trying to make up for lost time. But it was interesting here, Mr. Ames, in the announcement, mentioned about this young fellow who memorized uh, the first 21 verses of uh, Ephesians chapter 5. And I actually want you to turn with me to Ephesians chapter 5, because here is something that is very important in this particular section of the Scriptures that the Apostle Paul wants to remind us of. And he puts it across, really, with a lot of emphasis here, and I do want to go through a little bit of this today. Here in First Corinthians, not First Corinthians, in Ephesians chapter 5 and verse 15, Paul says, See then that you walked circumspectly, not as fools, but as wise. Verse 16, redeeming the time, because the days are evil. And we certainly live in evil, evil days. There's no question about that. I was just hearing on the news the other day down in Peru about these four guys that were arrested for, they feel they've been responsible for 60 murders. You see that? Where they're trying to harvest the fat off the human body for cos the cosmetic industry. They're exporting it over to Italy. And uh, they feel that this is a wonderful way to earn an income. Uh, just find a few um, uh, individuals that we think we can dispose of and and uh, uh, export, uh, export the fat. 
It's incredible. When we think about the evilness that's out there, the mind, that satanic spirit that motivates people to do that sort of thing. We might come back to that later. But what I want to point out here is verse 16, redeeming the time because the days are evil. And for a title, we can call it redeeming the time. How do we redeem time, brethren? How can you redeem time? How can you make up time? Maybe time you think you have wasted. Well, right here in this verse, let me spend a little bit of time talking to you about the words here. The Apostle Paul is saying that we are to walk circumspectly. What does that mean? Now, the Latin, the word, the English word here, circumspectly, it comes from the Latin, which means circum, which means around or about. We talk about circumnavigate and circumstances, or we talk about circumcision. Uh, lots of words that uh, come from that Latin mean to look around to, or, or, or encircle. And speckly, you know, some of you are wearing your spectacles. It means to see. So from the Latin, it means to be, be, be looking around, taking notice. And the Greek word actually means to be diligent, to be accurate, or to be exact. So Paul is not just making some superficial statement here that he wants us just to look out the window and see what's there. No, he says, I want you to be thinking about what you do, what you do with your time, as he goes on to say in the, in the next verse, redeeming the time. And the, the word redeeming really means to buy, to buy back, perhaps we could use it that way. And we think this, this world is not God's world. This is Satan's world. And he's the one that runs things, and he wants to take your time. And we, it's, it's like we have to purchase it back. We, it's like we have to get control of it and, and take charge of it. Because if we don't, then certainly Satan is going to do that. And so to say that we have to walk circumspectly means that we need to consider carefully where we're walking. And, and the word walk just doesn't mean you're outside walking down the sidewalk. It means your way of life. God wants us to think about this in minute detail. He wants us to be diligent about it and not just let, let life pass you by and use the time frivolously. We're not to let circumstances get out of control. Time is running out. There used to be that old program, as sands through the hourglass. So are the days of our lives. <laughs> Time is running out, and maybe that's still on. I don't know. It uh, seems like it was about 20 or 30 years ago that I remember my mum watching it or my wife or whoever it was at the time. It must have been my wife. It was 30 years ago. But um, I want to, um, to have you turn back with me to Psalm chapter 90. This was uh, something that hit me just uh, very recently in September. We had a recently ordained elder in the Philippines, a very fine man, and uh, just before the floods hit in in that that month, um, he lost his daughter. She was just 16 years old, and he wrote a really moving obituary. And he talked about this verse here in Psalm chapter 90, uh, which I, I personally was moved by it, and it talked about 
in verse uh, uh, 12 here. So teach us to number our days. And we need to think about our days. God has given, in fact, just up here a little bit earlier in verse 10, the days of our lives are 70 years. And on those 70 years, for those of you who are 70 and more, or a little less, those days have gone very quickly. Because you can remember back, and it seems like it was yesterday or last week, very, very recently. And when we're young, we think, hey, I've got almost eternity to take care of this problem or that problem or this issue or that. But it it just evaporates. It really does. And, uh, And so here, when we think about 70 years... You know how long, if you were numbering 70 years, how many days that is? 25,567 days. Well, 25,000, that's, you know, we've just numbered the 70-year the lifespan, okay? That's 3,652 Sabbaths you get to keep if you are born with a family who's fearing God and keeping the holy days and the Sabbath. Or... Think about it, 490 holy days from unleavened bread down to last great day every year, seven a year. Of course, sometimes they double up there on the Sabbath, of course, as we know, but 490 holy days. You won't have the opportunity to come and worship before God on those days. But he says here in verse 12 of Psalm 90, teach us to number our days. You know, God is the teacher. He wants us to learn. And there's something important about that we think about how much time we don't have on this earth and what's got to be accomplished in that little bit of time that we have. And so often we waste it. We don't know how to use it. But here we read in Psalm chapter 90 and verse 12, teach us to number our days that we may gain a heart of wisdom. That's what God wants us to have. He wants us to become wise. He wants us to think like he thinks and to be able to make the right decisions, the decisions that he makes. And so we've got to think about us as an individual. You think about yourself as to how much time do you have left? If you were to number your days, how much time do you have left to do the things that you know need to be done? You know, the older I get, the more I realize there are so many things in life I'd love to do, but time is running out. I went on the Internet this morning. I have on on my Google, one of my Google homepages, the death clock. Have you seen that? (laughs) It's pretty gruesome, man. There's, there's, There's a skull and crossbones there. But you can actually type in, you know, your, your, how old you are, you know, whether you smoke or not, and um, what sort of mental frame of mind you have, and it'll tell you what day you're going to die. <laughs> so if anybody's interested, mine's Tuesday, June the 6th, 2017. And that's quite serious. Time's running out. I was very grateful because my passport expires a week later, so I'm okay. <laughs> But then it breaks it down and it says, and you you think, okay, that's way off in the future sometime, but it breaks it down and says, you have 237,822,742 seconds left 
or that is equal to three thousand six hundred and uh, three million six hundred sorry three million nine hundred and sixty three thousand seven hundred and twelve minutes or sixty six thousand and sixty one hours or two thousand seven hundred and fifty two days or ninety months or seven and a half years and I think that's just for me you, you think about yours what are you going to do with that now that's just the average you know what they did they just took the average longevity of an average man who doesn't smoke and thinks positively and uh, <laughs> they reckon that's where it'll end up so um, but I, I, just for an exercise well how much time do we have we, we just don't know when our time's going to be... But God says, hey, I want you to number your days so that you can be wise. And one thing we cannot do, brethren, is rule time. We cannot... People talk about, I want to rule my time. No, time is ruled by the sun and the moon and the stars. Now, God rules the time. But he's given us life. He's given us days which he expects that we're going to use them wisely purposefully that we will work, walk circumspectly that we will redeem the little bit of time that life affords to us you read that over in genesis chapter one but let me take you first of all back to exodus chapter 18 with the time that god has given what does he want you to achieve exodus chapter 18 and verse 1 well, not verse 1, we'll come down here to verse 20. This is when God is bringing Israel out of Egypt. He's brought them through the Red Sea. He's bringing them down to Mount Sinai now. And he's giving them a mission statement. He says, I, I, have, I, I want you to have purpose in life. I want you to be as one people. I want you to know where you're going. I, know, I want you to know what you need to be doing. Because I have called you to be a holy nation, a special nation, a peculiar people above all peoples on the face of the earth now that was the physical tribes of israel but god has done that for us today as the spiritual family of israel what's our mission statement well it's written right here in chapter 18 in one sense i guess there are many but i'm just bringing you one facet of it here moses has been given instruction how to organize the people of israel and he says in verse 20 after he sets up those that are going to be uh, uh, leaders and judges among the people. But in verse 20, he says, And you shall teach them the statutes and the laws. That's something the world does not know. Satan doesn't teach statutes and laws. You know, we hear about uh, statements where a law is being repealed. Well, they never really repeal a law. They just repeal a law and make another one. And... Uh, but uh, we need to understand what God's laws are. God's laws are never repealed. Those commandments are there, his statutes, he says. And he said, continues on, he says, and show them the way in which they must walk. Remember he said, walk circumspectly. And God's word is to show us how we can walk circumspectly. And this was one of the responsibilities of Moses and the leaders that he was going to choose and the priests and the ministry today teach them the way in which they must walk and the work they must do. There are two things, walking and working. And today we have been called to walk a certain path in life, 
be an example of God's way, but also to be involved in a work. And brethren, all of us, we, we might have, have our different jobs, we might have different skills and different occupations, but you know, our calling was to do God's work. In fact, you read over in Colossians chapter 3, and I think it's about verse 20. He says, when you get up in the morning and you get ready and dressed and you go to your whatever job it is, you go there as if you were going to work for Jesus Christ himself. Because Christ is our boss now. And we have to go there, and whoever our employee may be, then we work for him as if he was Jesus Christ in that sense. Because... What we're doing, and God has called us to support his work, we go out there and say, I'm going to be the best employee there is. I'm going to make sure I never get fired from my job. I'm going to see that if I work diligently here, as God tells me, that maybe I'll get a pay increase and I can contribute more to do God's work. This work is, go- is responsible for making sure the world hears the good news of God's coming kingdom. And there's nothing more important than that. God wants that good news to go out. And that's, the, that's how he is encouraged, going to encourage the world, really. You know, the story of Joseph is a, a fascinating story. Before God put Joseph in the pit, before God took him down to Egypt and made him work for Potiphar, before he put him down into the dungeon for those years that he was there, he said, Joseph, life's going to be pretty tough for you. But he says, I'm going to encourage you. I'm going to give you a couple of dreams. And it doesn't matter what you go through, you're going to know the outcome. The outcome is going to be positive. You're going to be exalted out of the the dungeon, and you're going to stand before Pharaoh, and your brothers are going to come and worship you, and you're going to have the opportunity to rule the world, really. And that's that's our story, brethren, in so many, just so few words. And uh, we need to take heart as we... Look at those uh, examples of what happened to Joseph and really what is going to happen to his people in the end time. Remember, the tribulation is primarily on the people of Joseph. And they're going to have to have some good news when they go into captivity, which is just around the corner, that we're going to be delivered from this horrendous state of affairs. And it's not going to be a pretty sight, as we know. Well, over here in in Genesis chapter 2 and verse 15... Genesis 2 and verse 15, there's an example of Adam in the Garden of Eden. And God gave Adam a responsibility. He said, here's this beautiful place. I'm going to put you in charge of it. And in verse 15, it says, And the Lord God took the man and put him in the Garden of Eden to tend it and to keep it, to dress it and to keep it, as it says in the King James Version. Now, to tend it means to take care of it. This was Adam's little kingdom. It was he and his wife, and they were entrusted with looking. God built the garden. God arranged it all. It was undoubtedly absolutely spectacular as a garden. And God says, now I want you to continue to look after this. I want you to take care of it. And also, I want you to keep it. And the word keep here means to protect it. And we can look at the human race and think about this world, our earth, and think, have we really 
protected it? Have we taken care of it like we should? Well, no, you see, Adam's motivation or motive was not to look after it. He was inspired a little bit later on by Satan to get what he could rather than give to it. And rather than protect it or preserve it or watch over it and guard it, we know the opposites that happen. And our earth is in a very, very sad state. You know, our air is polluted, our water is polluted, our land is polluted, our oceans are polluted, our body is polluted, our mind is polluted. You know, we, we've done a wonderful job of messing things up really and truly. And we're being called to let the world know that all this is going to change. It's going to get better. We have people out there trying to solve the problem with global warming or whatever they want to call it these days. And um, uh, we know it's not going to work. It just isn't going to work. As God says, there is a way that seems right to a man, but the ends thereof are the ways of death. It doesn't matter what human beings do. They may take one step forward, but it's going to be five steps back, backwards. But the point I want to bring out here in verse 15 is God gave Adam this little garden. Well, I assume it was a little garden. It says it was a garden that was planted eastward in Eden. So Eden was a great territory, and the garden was over there in the east. But it was something that Adam could have taken care of adequately. He was the king of his garden. He was entrusted to dress it and to keep it. And all of us, God has called to be future rulers in his kingdom, to help govern his territory and his kingdom, the kingdom of God. But, you know, God is looking at us now to see how well we're doing with the little kingdom God has given you. And you see, what kingdom have I got? Well, you all have a kingdom to rule over. Whether it's your home, whether it's your bedroom, whether it's your car, whether it's your own body, your life. You know, God's over in Luke chapter 16 and what, verse 16 or so there or 12, he says, look, he's talking about finances. And he says, he who is faithful in the little, he says, I, can, I will give them rulership over much. But he is unjust in the, uh, the, the little, will be unjust in the much. You know, God looks at the details. God looks at the little. You know, you may earn $10, that's your increase. Well, you know, $1 is a tithe. That's God's. That's not even ours. Are we faithful in handing that to him? See, God is looking at those little things. You might say, oh, a dollar is nothing these days. You know, you hardly get anything with it well here adam had a, a garden to rule over and we have a little kingdom as i said where it's your house maybe it's your kitchen maybe it's your linen cupboard or your your clothes closet in your bedroom look at it are you is it ruling you or are you ruling it is it overcrowded is it disheveled it is a mess a mess is it chaos and confusion you know, all those things are Satan's mind. And we need to take stock of that and, and look at it and say, is this, would Christ be pleased with this? Is this how he would do it? You know, I read after his resurrection that when the, 
they went into the tomb and it, it talked about the uh, clothing he was wrapped in and it was folded neatly at the head of the, the bed. He just didn't throw it on the floor and say, oh, well, someone else will pick it up. <laughs> but he wrapped it up and folded it and placed it at the head of the whatever it was there where he was lying. And so we need to think about, in fact, turn to Luke 16. We need to just have a look at that quickly and you can, you can mark it if you haven't already got it marked in, in your Bible. But here in Luke chapter 16 and down in verse 10, let's reading it here. He who is faithful in that which is least is faithful also in much. God is looking at the little details. He that is faithful, Luke 16 and verse 10, he who is faithful in that which is least is faithful also in much. And he who is unjust in that which is least is unjust also in much. Therefore, if you have not been faithful in the unrighteous mammon, who will commit to you your trust the true riches? And so we need to think about what's happened here. Back in the Garden of Eden, because Adam did not want to keep it, that he did not want to tend it God's way, he was put out of the garden. Here's this fellowship from Eden, if we can put it in those terms. We have had the opportunity now to be invited back. And God is wanting to see how you will look after this planet. How will you look after his people? How you look after the things that he has given you? If you can't look after those things adequately, how can he entrust to us the great responsibility of the kingdom of God? It's interesting to read in Revelation chapter 3 about the Laodicean people in the end time. It mentions there that, yes, they have an understanding. But you know what? Rather than Adam being kicked out of the garden, in this case, Christ is outside. Remember, he says, I stand at the door and knock. I would like to come in and sup with you and be a part of what you're doing in here. They've left him out of their thinking, their dimension on how things should be done. But we need to ask ourselves, how well are you doing in ruling the little kingdom that God has given to you? In 1 Timothy chapter 5 and verse 7, 1 Timothy 5 and verse 7, we'll get down to some of the nitty-gritty of this in a moment, but in 1 Timothy 5 and verse 7, here is a principle that Paul gives us regarding taking care of what we have, what we own, what we've been given responsibility over. He begins talking about the widows and how any of us in the church who have uh, widows that uh, need help or family members that need help, then that's something that we need to take upon ourselves as a responsibility to look after them. And as he comes down in verse 7, he says, And these things command that they may be blameless. But if anyone does not provide for his own, and especially for those of his household, he has denied the faith and is worse than an unbeliever. You know, a, a, a man, and there's many aspects to this, of course, but a, a man who, you know, has so many kids that he can't afford to feed them, you know, is, is not, or look after them, or spend time with them. You know, oftentimes, and this is what this man I sat next to on the plane regretted, he had these children, but he was off doing something else. His job was more important, taking him around the world, and he's neglecting them. 
And this is what God says. Hey, you need to look at your situation and analyze it and say, can I afford to travel around the world? I brought these children into my life and I'm responsible to teach them. And many people spend too much time trying to earn, you know, the the money to make life comfortable and neglect the more important things in life. And so we have to only take on as much responsibility as we can handle. If your kingdom grows so large that you cannot have time to properly look after it and maintain it, then you either have to increase your income or you've got to increase your servants. Otherwise, things get out of control. And you can, you can go to your closet, you can go to your attic or your basement, see how many things you've bought over the years that you thought you could use but now are just gathering cobwebs there because you don't have the time to use them or maybe use them once in a, a blue moon, as they say. And, um, and so we need to think about, is our kingdom out of control? What are we doing with the time that we have to do all the things that we need to do Are we using it wisely? Are we walking circumspectly? What I'm going to do now is give you an example of how much time you don't have. And I want you to bear with me on this. It's going to vary from person to person. You will have different things in your life that you do. But what I want to encourage you to do is to go back and think and walk circumspectly. I want you to do an inventory of your life an inventory of your time. Now, I've just written down a few things here that we can... I want you to get thinking about this. Are we spending the time as God wants us to do? As we read in Exodus, as we could have read, I should have read over in uh, Psalm 90. We may go back there later. But God says to be involved in his work, to walk wisely. Do we have time to do these things? God's given us 168 hours a week. We have seven days. And incidentally, this coming week for me, I'll be leaving Los Angeles tomorrow evening and Sunday night, and I arrive back in Australia on 6 o'clock Tuesday morning. Monday completely disappears. So this next week, the seventh day will actually be next Sunday. So if you see me observing the Sabbath on a Sunday, you'll know why. (laughs) only joking (laughs) i'm going through a time warp so that's what's going to happen it's going to time is speeding up anyway we have 168 hours in a week right now let's take out the sabbath 24 hours because that's holy time that's god's time so we won't we won't factor that in to the calculations here but you take 24 hours out of your week you're left with 144 It's a good number. 144 hours God gives to you. Okay, that's for six days. Now you think about it. We should sleep. We should spend approximately a third of our time sleeping or involvements, everything involved with sleeping. All right. Eight hours. There was a a recent uh, study done in Japan just last month. They said the optimum amount of sleep that you need in a night is seven and a half hours. Now, I know some will be less and some will be more. I understand those things. But let's say approximately a third of your time that you have is for sleep. That brings you down. That's 48 hours. Six-eighths of 48. That brings you down. You have 96 hours in the week left to do all the other things you need to do. Let's say 
Out of that 96 hours, you work 40 hours a week. Now, I know some of you don't work, um, stay at home and work around the house. Okay, but we need to, you know, God, the commandment is six days you shall labor and do all your work. So, you know, as a Christian, we should be working if we're capable and able. And so approximately 40 hours. That leaves you now 56 hours. Now, many of you have to travel to work back and forward. Time in your car. And getting in the car, getting it started. Maybe it doesn't start on time. So, you know, I'll just be conservative and say, okay, five hours a week travel. During those six days, there was other traveling that's done as well. You're left with 51 hours now. Now, I haven't gotten the important part. How much time are you going to spend with God? You know, we learn. You know, it says that people who do all the talking, like I am now, don't learn anything. No, you have to listen. And so we have to listen to God talking to us through his word, but we also have to speak to him in prayer. And it's interesting that I was down in the library downstairs here yesterday or the day before, and I was looking at just surveying some of the books on the shelves, and I saw a sort of a series of of publications up there. I thought, oh, they look interesting. So I, I just pulled one down, and it just happened to me, Mr. Ames, conference notes from 1969 back out there in Pasadena. And there was a, uh, a session that Mr. Herbert Armstrong had given. And he said, you need to spend at least an hour a day in Bible study and at least 30 minutes a day in prayer. So that we have an hour and a half right there. Now, let's say we take, and just as an example, Let's say we take, of a 24-hour day, you take out your eight hours sleep, you've got 16 hours left. Now, just like God has us tithe our income or our increase, why not take your time and say, I'm going to tithe a tenth of that to God. I'm going to give him, I'll spend half hour talking to him and let him talk to me for an hour. Now, that's an hour and a half. One-tenth of 16 hours is 1.6 hours is approximately an hour and a half. And, you know, I haven't even talked about taking time to meditate and, the, and other things associated with that as well. But if we, you want to grow spiritually, you know, we need to spend the time on our knees. And we can do what David did. If he ruled all of the kingdom of Israel and he said, I go to God morning, noon, and night... You know, you could spend 10 minutes in the morning and 10 minutes at noon and 10 minutes in the evening. You got your half hour in. You know, and 10 minutes is not much, but you're talking to God. And we can do more than that. You know, I, I um, uh, sometime recently, I, I did a little, had a little project. Let me see if I can find it here. Had a little project for the people back in Australia. I, I did a little um, uh, credit card, wallet size card. And uh, they can put it in their, their wallet next to their credit cards, and every time they open up, up, they can be reminded about this. But on one side, because sometimes, sometimes people have said, look, I have a problem trying to find, to, to know what to actually talk to God about. And, you know, that question has come up over a period of time. And this, this was just a, a, a reminder, a prod uh, for people to think about. 
And I just listed the seven facets of what we refer to as the Lord's Prayer in Matthew chapter 6, of acknowledging God and asking his forgiveness and praying for his kingdom to come and the work being done and so forth. And, you know, you, you could go through something like that and take up the full half hour talking to God about that one prayer. And there are so many other facets of our life that we can talk about. On the other side, I listed the seven uh, mission statements of the Living Church of God that was published in the Living Church News some time back. And I just suggested to everybody that maybe make one the priority each day of the week. You know, for example, on a Sunday, you know, to preach the, the work, the responsibility of the work is to preach the gospel of the kingdom of God. Today, number seven is restoring apostolic Christianity. We can pray about those things. And brethren, you're going to find that half hour is gone. And you're going to find, hey, I, I, boy, that's something I haven't thought about. I need to go and study that and read that. And we have so much. You know, I had one man recently tell me, oh, we're not being fed. And I thought spiritually. And I thought, you know, what, where is this guy coming from? You know, we got the Tomorrow's World program. We got the Tomorrow's World magazine. We got the Living Church News. We have the booklets and the articles. And, and the, now the Living University. If you don't have anything to do, sign up. But um, there is just so much to learn about God and his way of life. And, uh, you know, Mr. Ames last week asked how many people have read the Living Church News. Well, I'm not going to ask for a show of hands, but um, I hope we take the time. You know, these things have to be, this is all part of walking circumspectly. This is all part of analyzing your time and spending time with God to do these things. Now, that brings us down. If you spend nine hours a week, just that's I'm talking about the, the work week, because on the Sabbath we need to spend time as well, but we're just talking about the six days God has given to us. That brings your hours down to 42. Now, we need to do some exercise. Let's say a minimum of 30 minutes a day. You know, we've got spiritual exercise. We've had, we need to do some physical exercise to get some oxygen into our system and stay alert and alive and awake and active. If we don't, you know, your muscles just die and you die. And so that brings us down to 39 hours. Ah, what about eating? We spend much time in eating. I don't know. You, you look at your life. You analyze it some. Do an inventory. How, how much time do you spend preparing food, thinking about what you're going to eat, eating it, you know, and, you know cleaning up afterwards, all those things? Sitting down, maybe at a restaurant, and, and the time you take just discussing things with people. Let's say, conservatively, six hours a week. And, you know, that's, that's one hour a day divided by three meals and snacks and coffee breaks. <laughs> and you probably easy spend an hour a day just in the, in the, the, the uh, exercise of eating. So that brings you down to 33 hours. Now, all the other things around the home you have to take care of. I just listed a couple. Clean the house, clean your room, vacuum the carpet, sweep the floors. You've got to go to the bathroom, the dishes that have got to be done. The washing of your clothes, uh, you're cleaning your car, keeping it neat and tidy. The lawn, the mowing, the raking, the shoveling snow if you live in those areas. Uh, putting the garbage out. You know, life is consumed by so many little things. 
Now, I've just estimated an average of an hour a day to do all those things. I'm not sure what exactly, but I think it brings you down to 27 hours that you have left. Now, we need to be educating ourselves, reading, studying, looking at the newspaper, and let's allocate three hours for that per week. That's a half hour a day. And we need to read a book from time to time. We need to read uh, the newspaper. Okay, what about seeing the nightly news? Got to see what's going on in the world. You can spend a half hour watching the news uh, on some of the stations, some of the news stations. I, I'm not sure what, but I've allocated here another half hour a day. So that's three hours a week, brings your time down to 21 hours. Now we've got to go shopping. Whether you go to the local store or you go shopping online, let's give ourselves another three hours for that. You're down to 18. Those of you who have children, you need to spend time with them. You need to talk to them. You need to read to them. You know, as it says in Deuteronomy, you know, when you're walking by the way, when you're sitting down at a meal, when you're going to bed at night, whatever you're doing, you need to have your kids there. You know, they look to you as God. You're the one that's going to teach them. Today our children are confused about who to look to. They go to their parents. They go to the child mining center. They go to the school. They go to somewhere else. And I wonder our younger generation is growing up confused. They need their dads and mums. And you need to spend time. So let's, let's minimum, say a minimum of half hour a day. And that's way too late, less. But that's another three hours. You've got 15 hours in the week left. Now what about husbands and wives spending time together? We need to do that. I know sometimes, you know, well, not sometimes, but every morning when I'm home, that is, my wife and I, we sit down for half an hour together and, and nothing else really but just have a cup of coffee, a piece of toast, and we just talk. And just, so what are you going to do today? You know, what are you planning? What happened yesterday? All that sort of thing. Because uh, sometimes when I get home at night, um, there's, she's not around. <laughs> she's sound asleep somewhere. <laughs> well, I know where she is. <laughs> Um, so we're down to we're down to 12 hours. You know, you got to take these. These are important things in life, brethren. Spend time with your family, your wife, your husband, your children. And we're not done. Those of you who have parents that are still alive, you need to honour them, call them, write to them. If you have um, children, um, maybe as parents, older parents, and your children are left home. You know, there still needs to be those lines of communication. We need to maintain contact. God says we've got to honor our parents. That's so even in death. You know, I often sit down and just think about my dad and mum and the times that I should have, could have spent time with them, things we could have done together. You know, I have those regrets. And then I think about what am I going to say to them when they come up in the resurrection? And, 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 and think about it. I'm looking forward to that time. We need to do that and not just dismiss them and forget about them and they're gone and dead and buried and they're out of our mind altogether. We wouldn't be here if it wasn't for them. And we better honor them and show them that respect that they uh, duly uh, uh, should be afforded. Well, we, we, let, let's, let's say you spend an hour because, you, you know, there's... there's some families have um, a number of uh, uh, parents, but you can get on the phone. I know some daughters get on and talk to their mum every week for a little bit more than an hour. 
Um, so that's time that, as I said, you know, you, you have to apply these to your own circumstances. What about talking to your friends and neighbours and just general chit-chat with people? You know, maybe another hour. Well, we're down to ten now. Now, if you want to be a well-rounded person, you should have a hobby. You know, I like to keep bees. You know, and it can take a few hours as you look into the hive and see all the drones that need to be extracted and see where the queen cells need to be pulled out. It shouldn't be there, especially in the springtime and uh, so forth. And you, I don't know what your hobby is. You think about it. It may be, who knows, but you can spend two hours a week, whatever it is, model airplanes or spaceships or something. Okay. But we're down to eight hours now. And there's miscellaneous stuff. You know, you have photos to look at. You've got junk mail to read. You've got to just go bought a new software program. You're trying to figure out how to make it work. You want to know how your new iPhone operates. And on and on it goes, little miscellaneous things. So you can say two hours for that. You've got six hours left. And now, what are you going to do with that? Well, if you're like me, I can easily spend six hours a week reading my emails and answering them. <laughs> you know, the, co the communications that come in, and you've got to look at this and you've got to think about that. And so, so easy, I can, and then you've got to pay your bills. If you, maybe some of you pay your bills online, but we've got to take all that into consideration. Perhaps you do volunteer work uh, for, in the local community. Maybe you go and visit some member who's sick. You know, these things, or you make extra soup for them or something, and you have to deliver it. Let's say you spend another hour in your email communications, um, you know, all these other little miscellaneous things. You have zero hours left. And so now you have to ask yourself the question, how much time do I have to sit down and watch the movie on television at night or go to the local cinema how much time do I have to spend on Facebook and Twitter and all the other things, surfing the Internet, which can take up so much of our time, and uh, so many other... I haven't included... You know, I mentioned about meditation before. God wants us to meditate. How much time do we take to do that? You know, life becomes so busy that we forget to walk circumspectly and we let time just slide by and we never achieve the things. You know what suffers. It's either our sleep suffers or our time with God suffers. And it's so often more our time with God that suffers. We've got to put God first. And then we've got to look at our time and we've got to see, do I have time to all do all these things? Then there's the miscellaneous phone calls that come in. Maybe there's sports activities that you want to be a part of. Maybe there's a play you want to go and see. Brethren, we have to look at the little bit of life and time that God has given to us. Time is our life, and our life certainly is very, very, very valuable indeed. Over here in Luke chapter 12 and verse 7, 6 and 7, God says that certainly our life is of great value. In Luke chapter 12 and verse 7, he says, Are not five sparrows sold for two copper coins? And not one of them is forgotten before God. 
He also says, but the very hairs of your head are all numbered. You know, I'm just showing here, God is detail-minded. If he knows how many hairs on your head, you know, he's looking at the nitty-gritty, as, as we say. We need to look at the nitty-gritty. How are you using those minutes? How are you using those hours? How are you numbering your days? Where are they going? What are you doing with them? Are you growing in wisdom and in the grace and knowledge of Jesus Christ? You know, we need to be careful. You know, when we talk about spiritual growth, you know, sometimes that spiritual growth can be a very selfish thing because I'm thinking about how I'm going to be better, how I'm going to be greater, how I'm going to be, you know, elevated. And that's why I believe Mr. Armstrong many years ago used to say to us, he says, if you want to know about spiritual growth, he said, you grow spiritually to the degree you have your hearts in doing God's work. And you think about that, because that's what, when we talk about, go back to Exodus and Exodus 18, Moses' responsibility was to teach them the way in which they were to walk and the work that they were to do. And brethren, as we get our hearts in thinking about doing God's work and meditating on it and not fritting away our time and using it wisely, we're just, we're, we are going to grow. We are going to walk closer with God. We're going to be able to take in those things that he wants to teach us and have us learn. And so as we just read, he says, the very hairs of your head are all numbered. Do not fear, therefore, you are more value than many sparrows. I remember years back, um, we, it used to be said that a human life was worth, you know, if we were sort of ground down and went through the crematorium and all the powder dust came out at the other end, we were worth about $1.60 or something. You remember that, some of you from way back? Well, I tell you, the value of human life has gone up. <laughs> These guys that are collecting fat, um, and what it did, I say before, you know, the amount of fat on human body is about seven bars of soap, worth about $10. So, you know, even there we've gone up in bed. But the human body, when with some of these body snatches, and that, which is happening today, the trading human body parts, they estimate that the human body is now worth 220000 U.S. dollars. But you know what? We're worth far more than that. Turn with me to 1 Peter, chapter 1. First Peter, chapter 1, and starting here in verse 13. And this is what the Apostle Paul was talking about. We're in Peter, but Paul in, 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 in Ephesians chapter 5, where we read earlier, is talking about the same thing, about the days being evil, of how... We need to walk in the light and not in the darkness. And here Peter is saying in verse 13, 1 Peter 1 and verse 13, Therefore, gird up the loins of your mind. You know, our mind is our life, our eternal life. That's where our life, you know, the, loin, the girding up our loins was to protect, protect our uh, reproductive organs, anciently. I have a, a, a Greek gladiator at home with all, in all these regalia. And, you know, he's got all the, anyway, I won't go into that, but he's got all the, the armor on, you know, the shield and the helmet and the sword and the, and the, the leggings and the, and the, uh, the uh, protection around his loins. Well, you know, it's our mind today that we need to protect more than anything else. He says, be sober 
and rest your hope fully upon the grace that is to be brought to you at the revelation of Jesus Christ as obedient children, not conforming yourselves to the former lusts as in your ignorance. And we look at the world out there. The world teaches us to covet. I looked a little bit of television in my spare time this week. And it says, you need this and you need that. You need to buy the other and come in. And we got special sales going on. And the world is given to covetousness. It is given to lust. And that's where we could be. And that's where sometimes we would like to be. But brethren, God is saying, as his people who have just been called out of Babylon and Egypt... We better gird up the loins of our mind as obedient children, not conforming ourselves to the former lusts as in your ignorance, but as he who called you is holy, you also be holy in all your conduct, the way you walk, what you do with your time. Because it is written, be holy for I am holy. Taken from Leviticus, which is really the theme of the book in many respects in verse 17. And if you call on the Father who without partiality judges according to each one's work, conduct yourselves throughout the time of your sojourning here in fear. Walk circumspectly. Think about what you do. Think about how you use what God has given to you, knowing that you were not redeemed with corruptible things like silver or gold from your aimless conduct. He says the world is going nowhere. They have no, no, don't have a clue what direction they're going in. And we can sit down and we can satiate our desires and appetites by watching this program, that program. And, you know, there's some good documentaries out there and some wonderful historical things you can see. But where is it leading us? It's good to know some of these things. And I'm not saying never do it. But I'm saying we better make sure that we do and take care of the other priorities first. And so he says here, uh, from your aimless conduct received by tradition from your fathers, the way the world taught us, but with the precious blood of Christ as of a lamb without blemish and without spot. Brethren, we have been purchased, and the price that was paid for us is far above anything that this world can offer, the gold and the silver and whatever we might be worth on the black market. We were paid with by the blood of our Creator. And so coming back here and finishing up in Ephesians chapter 5, let's turn back there very quickly where we started. Ephesians chapter 5, and starting in verse 7, he says, Therefore do not be partakers with them. Do not be partners with this, this world and the way they conduct themselves. For you were once in darkness, but now you are light in the Lord. Walk as children of light. It's just not taking, it's not talking about taking a stroll. It's talking about walking circumspectly. What are you doing with your time? Are you numbering your days? Are you thinking about how you can serve God? How you can give your life to him? See this message preached to the world to make those sacrifices so that you can be closer to God and that he can bless us in every way. Brethren, God doesn't want drifters. He wants people who are conscientious. And that's the message to the end time era. The church of Laodicea lives in an age where they don't have the zeal 
to do what's right. And that's why he says, repent you therefore and be zealous. God wants to see us walk circumspectly, as it says in verse 15 or verse 14. Therefore, he says, awake you who sleep. And he said, we don't, he doesn't want sleepwalkers in his church today. You know, he wants us to be alive and active. Arise from the dead and Christ will give you light. See then that you walk circumspectly, not as fools. The world is walking that way. We don't want to walk with them. But redeeming the time, buying that time, using that time wisely, because the days are evil. Therefore, do not be unwise, but understand what the will of the Lord is. Well, I look forward to seeing you again in the future. And uh, it's certainly been wonderful to be here at headquarters and imbibe of the atmosphere here. And I do pray that I can take some of that home and give it to the folks down under.